everybody. My name is Jason Ringenberg, and welcome to the Roots Away podcast. We've got a very special one for you today. Cal Dobbs is a trans athlete. He has completed really, really impressive feats of running and endurance. He recently ran across America from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean. He's also done the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail, completing the Triple Crown of through hiking. He's a very, very inspiring person and one of my favorite people to watch. <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Here's Cal Dobbs. Phew. Hey, Cal, what's up? Not much. How are you? Good, good. <laughs> you've had uh, you've had quite the year. I have. That's why there's not much up right now, because I'm deliberately keeping it as low-key as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, could you tell everybody, like, what's up? Like, what's your name? Um, what's, yes. what's your causes? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you bet. So, for those who are just walking into this. My name is Cal. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. I am a queer and transgender uh, endurance athlete and educator. So I am not currently teaching, but um, my, you know, other job is as a high school teacher and a coach. But during the early pandemic, I will say went on sabbatical to pursue my full-time career as an endurance athlete. I do intend to return to the classroom one day. And I think that like education, my, my background as an educator is still very much a part of my present, even though I'm not in a traditional classroom setting. Um, as you know, Jason, but probably listeners may not, um, I, you know, I am an endurance athlete, but a huge part of my athletics are building a platform to um, raise, you know, awareness, do a lot of educational stuff, fundraise around all of the anti-trans legislation, um, particularly the ways that it's targeting transgender youth in sports. Um, I myself am a transgender athlete, so this, you know these legislative sentiments and social sentiments are very personal for me. And I think that um, I have a really great opportunity to make a career doing what I love most, which is running and hiking and being outdoors and simultaneously using that to call people into these spaces who maybe previously didn't feel welcome or even, um, you know, help facilitate learning with people that don't know about these things because nobody, I don't know. I feel like nobody grew up learning about this kind of stuff. Nobody, it's all very recent and we're learning together. So I see ignorance as like an invitation to learn. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my sister is transitioning also uh, to a man. So I, I understand uh, sort of the things going on here. Um, yeah. And did you feel this like from a very young age? Absolutely. Um, and that's something that's important is like w research shows like we know that um, gender identity is pre becomes pretty solidified on like a metacognitive level around age five, which is why there is actually scientific evidence that trans kids know that they're trans. You know, we can prove this. Um, there's a lot of fear mongering where people talk about like non-consensual surgeries being done on trans kids and stuff. That's to that's a total lie. That is a full fabrication that is not happening. Um, there are no surgeries happening, um, on minors. It's literally illegal. Um, but what we do know is that gender identity 
like we become aware of our own gender identity and that's not just trans kids that's every single child like everyone can think back to the first time let's say if you're an athlete that you joined a sport i started playing competitive sports when i was five years old and there were boys teams and girls teams you know so it's like you become aware of your gender identity at a really young age and to your question it was um like for many trans kids it, it was very evident to me from a young age that I just didn't feel like I belonged, you know, playing on girls teams and being gendered that way. But I grew up in a generation where there was not a lot of consciousness around these issues. There was no language to describe these things. So I pretty much just stuffed it down, lived in silence. And that has really detrimental impacts on people's mental health. I mean, and that's not exclusive to trans to trans people. I think everyone can relate to that experience in some way of like being told that you should be someone that deep down you know that you're not. I went to a very prestigious college on the East Coast and I cannot tell you how many kids I went to school with that would like get drunk and cry because their parents told them they have to be a doctor, they have to be a lawyer, but deep down they just wanted to be like a writer or an actor or a scientist or something like that, you know? So I definitely knew that I was a boy from a young age and like looking back because I came out in my young adult life around 20, 21, 22 um, and I'm about to be 27 and like once I figured it out and I like had the language, I was able to look back at my life up to that point and be like, oh my gosh, everything makes sense, especially as an athlete Sports were really the one area in my life, even though it was so gender segregated, it was the one area where I felt like I could inhabit my truest, like masculine form, like because it was a lot about strength. It was a lot about being tough. It was a lot about like the things that I value most about my masculinity, although those are not, you know, things that are exclusive to, to masculine people. Um, but I was always like better than all of the girls at whatever sport I was playing, um, especially with running, you know, like I ran collegiately. I was one of the best runners um, in the in state in California, which is the fastest state in high school. Um, so I was always running against the boys. And that felt really affirming to me that I could not only compete with, but beat most of the boys. And now as a professional ultra marathoner and an ultra runner, like I think there's very few people of any gender that can compete on the level that I do. Um, and so the ways that like my gender identity and my athletic career intersect, they're, they're like deeply connected. I think sports are sort of where we learn that we like become aware that we like have a body and then we're like using that body, you know? So it makes <laughs> sense that gender would be particularly salient in those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about like your run across America? Yes, totally. Um, well, I'll back up and say that I did organize sports growing up. And like I mentioned, I, I was a runner, but I grew up in a city, so I never really got to go outdoors. It wasn't until I graduated college that I went for my first backpacking trip and um, really fell in love with it. So that's sort of what catalyzed this whole thing is like as a runner doing like mid distance and longer distance. I noticed that the longer I ran, the better I did. Like if you throw me in an 800 meter, like I am mediocre at best. <laughs> if you throw me in the mile, I'll perform a little better. And then in college, I was doing like the 5K on the track and stuff. And I was like pretty good at that. So I was like, let's just like push this to the limit and see how far I can go. And Frankly, I haven't found that limit yet because I went off and hiked the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,200 miles. And then I went on to do a 3,000-mile trail and a 2,600-mile trail. And that led me to this year, actually, in 2023, I um, completed my lifelong dream of running across America. I ran from California to Florida. It ended up being 2,800 miles. Um, very few people have ever successfully completed a run across America. And I don't believe any of them actually took the route 
that I took. It's pretty common. You'll hear like LA to DC or LA to New York or San Francisco or what have you. But to go from LA to Jacksonville, Florida and cross like the Southern, the Southwest and the South, um, it's a pretty like environmentally inhospitable area like it's and especially the time of year I did it like I was going through peak summer heat like by the time I got to Florida in I was in Florida in July I had to like cross clear across the panhandle it was like <laughs> it was like 100% humidity every day like 100 degrees it was truly brutal and I thought I was going to melt but the reason that I chose that unconventional route was because of because this run was so much bigger than myself, you know, like I always knew that I wanted to run across America. That was a dream that I had, you know, since I was 10 years old. I could not tell you why that popped into my head as a 10-year-old, but I committed to it. And I, when I set my mind to something, it happens. And so, you know, 16 years after I conceived that idea, I, I achieved it. And I didn't know at the time when I decided to run across America that it would be for something so much bigger than myself, which was raising funds and awareness for um, grassroots groups that are supporting trans people in the most vulnerable states in America um, being hit the hardest with anti-trans legislation. You know, places like Arizona, Texas, Florida, Alabama places like that. Um, so my goal in doing that was not to change anyone's mind. It was not to even really be a beacon of, of, you know, love and light and hope or whatever. It was really to just bring resources to the people that need it because they're suffering. Like there's a lot of trans people that live in these states that don't have access to gender affirming care. There's a lot of trans kids that are not allowed to compete on sports teams. Um, and that, like I mentioned before, is, is a deeply personal thing for me. And it's wrong. It's, there's no evidence to support that this should not, uh, you know, the kids shouldn't be playing on teams aligned with their gender identity. There's no reason why people should not have access to gender affirming care, which is literally just health care. And cisgender people receive gender affirming care all the time. You know, um, like think about like, a hair transplant or like, uh, you know, cosmetic things like a, like a breast augmentation or any sort of like, you know, anything that makes you feel more at home in your body and affirms your gender is gender affirming care. Um, puberty blockers, cisgender kids take puberty blockers way more than transgender kids do. Um, and it's totally safe and totally reversible. But when a trans kid wants to take them, suddenly it's a crime. And that does, that just doesn't make sense. So um, yeah, so I ran across America and we're making a documentary about it. So if you want to hear oh. Wow, more that's... about it you can watch it coming coming to you 2024 <laughs> oh my god that's so exciting <laughs> mm -hmm. it's super um, cool what would what would you say like your hardest day running across america was um mostly like physical but maybe emotional as well um yeah yeah <laughs> oh my gosh definitely the last day um i for some silly reason decided as if running across America wasn't hard enough on my last day. Um, so I was a hundred miles away from touching the Atlantic ocean and I decided to do it all in one day. And Oof. as an ultra marathoner, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of big, big days before, like before that, the, the longest I'd done was 70 miles in a day. Um, I've never done a hundred miler and I was like, all right, let's finish strong. Like let's finish on a strong note. And I did the last hundred miles all at once. Um, oh my God. Yeah. It took me, it was about like nine, it was about 20 hours of running. And then I took a four hour sleep in the middle of it. Um, so it was like one day, but over the course of two days. And um, because like I mentioned, it was like a hundred degrees in Florida and like a hundred percent humidity. I'm a fortunate runner in that I don't usually I don't often deal with chafing, but oh my God, I was chafing so bad. My skin, just like 
slabs of the skin on my thigh, my inner thigh were just like coming off and it was just brutal. It was so uncomfortable. And just like from a sensory standpoint, like my armpits were chafing, like everything was wet, everything was salty, everything was hot. But I I honestly don't even know if I can say that it was bad. Like, was it the hardest day? Yes. Was it a bad day? No, because I was so impressed with myself, honestly, that like after running across America that I could, I still could pull like a hundred mile day out of my ass. Like that's amazing. I didn't know my body could do it. And, uh, and I did it. And the whole time that like vision of I'm going to see the ocean and achieve this lifelong dream that I've had for over a decade that really carried me to the end. Like I was like, I don't care if I if my legs fall off, I will fucking crawl. And <laughs> I was so thrilled to like, it like really started to sink in in those hundred miles of like, I did it. I did it. Oh my God. Like I did it. Like I'm doing it. Like I'm almost there. Like what? Cause like you just, you just do the same thing every day. You know, like people are like, oh my God, you're running across America. That's so amazing. But if you think about it from my perspective, I wake up, I eat breakfast, I poop, I run 15 miles, I have lunch, I run another 15 miles, I have dinner, I go to sleep, I do it again. And I did that for four months. Like at a certain point, it just loses its meaning. <laughs> like it's you're just running. Like you don't know where you are. <laughs> it's like you're not an inspiration. You're just you're just on autopilot. So it was like that last day, even though I was in a lot of discomfort and pain, I was like, oh, it, it like the life – the realization came back to me where I'm like, oh my God, like I actually did it. <laughs> oh my God. That is so inspiring. Like I can't even imagine. Um, like how do you mitigate injury and like, how do you run a hundred miles in a day and not just like, like your legs must be like incredibly shot. Like how do you keep going? <laughs> yeah, I will say I got pretty lucky um, in terms of injury. I really only had to contend with two minor injuries that took about four days to heal. Um, and part of how I avoided injury was just listening to my body and responding. I think that, you know, as athletes, we can all relate to how bad we are at dealing with injury. Um, I certainly have a lot of just like psychological, like a psychological complex around being injured. It like, I, I mean, I see that as a coach, like so many athletes have that where it's just like, and it's, and especially for masculine people, you know, like, like myself included, there's sort of this toxic idea that like injury is a weakness and it's a, it's a vulnerability that I just have a really hard time accepting personally. Um, but I knew going into this, especially since I started my run literally one month against all medical advisor, advisory, I started my run one month after receiving gender affirming top surgery, which is like a huge surgery. It takes a while to heal from, but like one month after I started this run and I think having that experience going into this just being like a very obvious reason to take it easy I was like okay I, it was almost like I had an excuse <laughs> to take it easy because I'm like you know like I gotta be easy on my body I have to listen to it I have to be really careful or I could get seriously hurt and also then I don't make it you know and I this run is so much bigger than myself so it really was helpful to have that incentive outside of myself to really listen to my body. I, I think it functions sort of the same way as like being on a team, like playing a team sport, you're more likely to take care of an injury because your team is counting on you being healthy. Whereas my career as a runner, it's like, it's just me and my body. And I'm like, ah, I can grind it into the ground. And if I get injured, like, we'll just deal with that later, you know? Um, but it wasn't, this run wasn't about me. So I, um, if I had even like the littlest ache or pain, I was like, I'm stopping for the day. Injuries can escalate really quickly. I was like, I'm stopping for the day. I don't care if I've done five miles, 10 miles, 20, we're done. And I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to ice it and I'm going to rest. And then by the next day, usually I was, I was healed. Um, and it wasn't that serious. It, it really just is like listening to your body and responding to it before it's too late. Cause I've, yeah. been, I've been there too. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it sounds like you've been running like your whole life and I'm sure your body's used to it. So, I mean, like if I try to run like a half marathon, so, I mean, I, I, I recently went to Burning Man and I ran a half marathon at Burning Man and like I was fine, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like my hip flexors hurt like the next day and it was only 13 miles. Like, you know, I can't imagine going like a hundred miles and then like my hip flexors being like, okay, after that, you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely will say that I'm lucky. Like I am lucky to be strong. I'm lucky to be able-bodied. I'm lucky to um, know what I'm doing after a lifetime of doing it. And um there, there is an element of luck. Like you can't control these sorts of things. Like you can't control if um, you step on your, on a crack wrong and you like break your fucking ankle. It's possible. It's nobody's fault. It's possible. So it's like, there is a lot of luck involved, and I, I feel really lucky. Nothing bad happened. Yeah. Um. So also tell me about uh, the hiking. So you've done the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and you've also done the CDT as well, right? Yes. So you've done the Triple Crown? <laughs> yes, yes. And I was actually, in completing the Triple Crown in 2022, became the first known transgender person to complete it. So okay, was, so let, let's back up a little bit. Could you tell people what the Triple Crown is? <laughs> totally. The Triple Crown is completing three of America's premier national scenic hiking trails, which you just listed, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. Um, adding up the mileage of all of that, it totals almost 8,000 miles. I completed it over the course of three years, um, <clears throat> three asynchronous years, not not back to back to back. Um, I started hiking it in 2018. I did not have the intention of doing all three, and people often make the assumption of like, wow, so you like, you did your first through hike and you just like fell in love with it and you knew that you were going to do the others. I was like, no, it's actually the opposite. I fucking hated it. <laughs> I, I, did the, I started the AT, the Appalachian Trail right after I graduated college and it was my first backpacking trip ever. I had no business being out there. I did not know what I was doing. I was in way over my head. I would like cry every day and I just, it was brutal. It, it was truly an awful experience. Not to mention that I started my northbound through hike in Georgia is where it starts. I started northbound in Jul- in June, which is like, again, peak humidity, peak mosquitoes. It's like I could have just gone southbound, but I didn't know that that was an option at the time. So I just suffered a lot. And I had to get off trail for a couple months because I like, you know, met some shady people out there who were kind of creepy and it just really was an unsafe environment um starting that late and sort of being towards the back of the hiker bubble with the people that sort of aren't really out there for the same reasons i was Hmm. Um, could you you tell me about like the creepy things just in case people want to do the trail no, um, totally. Um, yeah. I think that that is something that doesn't get talked about enough, honestly, because we uh, a lot of people have this idea around the hiking and backpacking community of like, oh my gosh, it's so welcoming, it's so wonderful, it's like such a it's such a unique community of a lot of like eccentric individuals, and that is all true. That is all true. But that but there's also other stuff at the same time it's not all good and it's not all bad and you know at the time I you know I had long hair I was like presenting a lot more feminine than I than I do now um I was still trying to sort of understand my own gender identity so being on that trail as a quote-unquote woman there's not a single woman in the backpacking world that does not know what I'm talking about that has not had at least one experience with a creepy person in the middle of the woods and it's it's funny because people ask they're like oh my god like you know aren't you scared of bears and animals and mountain lions I was like no I'm scared of people People I I feel that too yes to all of us Um, and I would say just like anyone listening who's considering it, it should not be a barrier. Like fear should not be a barrier to entry. 
just be cautious. And especially on my run across America, like running as an openly trans person through some of the most hostile anti-trans states, people are like, oh my God, like, aren't you scared? Isn't it dangerous because of the people? And I I say the thing that's going to keep you safe is trusting your gut. There were a lot of times when I've been hiking and I'll like pull up to a campsite and there's just like a weird dude there because it's always a dude. And (laughs) I'm like, you know, I don't feel safe. I'm going to hike on. I'm going to keep hiking. If I find someone else on the trail who I think is safe, I will stick with them. You know, there is power in numbers. Um, But the year that I um, through hiked was the year that some people were killed out there by a crazy person with a knife. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's a, it's a very sobering reminder that we have to take care of each other. And we have to look out for each other. And especially with my transition, knowing that I am at a lower threat just because I present, I, I don't look like a girl anymore. I don't sound like a girl. People, you know, I still get misgendered, of course, but it's like no one's out there. Like people are confused by me. Like there's not like creepy men being like, hey girl, like, you know, to me anymore. Like I will stare you the fuck down and people generally don't uh-huh. mess um and having that sort of privilege especially as like a white person in the outdoors i do feel that it's incumbent on me to stick around if there's a danger and there's other people and to sort of like put my needs aside to make sure that others are okay and that's mm-hmm. the biggest reason why i do what i do in terms of my activism is to make it like i will not stop fighting for a world in which everyone is free to be completely unapologetically the, their most authentic selves without fear because mm. that's that is unacceptable to me like if you're just being yourself and being yourself puts you at risk of violence or danger that's a fucking problem that is a social malady and we are all implicated in that and it and it harms all of us i mean you said like you don't feel totally safe in the outdoors sometimes. So I mean, yeah. So Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. So um when you were a like a girl mm-hmm. with before you transitioned, right. Did you feel less ver- vulnerable? And then now that you've transitioned, do you feel like a lot like more like um like kind of going from the female thing of like yeah. we're scared to like the male thing of like I'm gonna like mess you up totally how like how does that do you feel like a difference or have you always been like yes. the same kind of thing yes no I, I don't I totally do <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> and I think that that so clearly um just proves like that you know sexism is real patriarchy is real things like this you know people will always be like are you a boy or a girl right that's the number one question are you a boy or a girl and i'm like is that going to change the way you treat me because it sounds like you want to know so you know how to treat me and if you're treating me differently that's on you like that is a spiritual that is like a moral conflict that you should really probably go to therapy about or something and it's not an indictment of people's character it is not at all because the reality it's the same thing with with racism and you know xenophobia and things like that we these are not natural um orders of the social world we are taught these things and we are all hurt by them like Because think of it this way. It's like I lived so many years of my life as a woman being terrified in situations like in the middle of the woods, right? Because being a woman alone in the woods is a liability. I don't feel that way anymore. But now if I am existing in the woods and there is a woman alone, now she's scared of me. She perceives me as a threat. That fucking sucks. Like that's that's so sad. You know what I mean? That's very interesting. That's so (laughs) sad. And I also know how she feels because I've been there. And I also feel that same fear as a trans person around people that are unsafe for trans people. And so it's like it it these systems and structures they oppress all of us and they exert themselves differently on different demographics of people. Um, But 
they really do hurt all of us. Like think about, you know, the most quote unquote privileged people in society. It's like cis, straight, white, man. How many people who align themselves with that demographic have been uh, shamed for being emotional or feminine or been told boys don't cry and things like that? <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah, that's like the essence of undermining your experience as a human being, denying someone access to the full range of their human emotions because it doesn't align with some weird idea that we made up about gender. Yeah, I mean, like, and I will say like, I am a straight white male cisgender, um, but I am also quite emotional and I do have a really big feminine side. I cry all the time um, at yeah. like movies and I don't know. I love Taylor love Swift. Uh, like, oh, same. I'm like, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm <very unclean. laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like a quite feminine um, human in general, but mm. like I also am definitely a male and love girls. So, yeah. But like, yeah, there's a spectrum. Like, I'm definitely not like Whoa. the manliest man ever, and I like can get down to like a feminine level, but still being like, you know, very very straight, very much straight and like very much love girls. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like the perfect example of how like gender is, there's no rules, you know, it's like you can be all the things at the same time. There's no rules, you know, and that's pretty much exactly what trans people are asking for is just like, just let us be ourselves. Like let, let, girl let you know boys wear dresses like let people do drag like let people take the hormones that make them feel like themselves like yeah it because there is no one size fits all nobody is a hundred percent anything like you're saying like you can be all these things and also have all of these like characteristics and qualities that you love about yourself that a lot of people get shamed for and it's like but why <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, anyway, it's so um, just about freedom and bodily autonomy. It's, yeah, that's, yeah, it's as simple as that. Uh huh. I love it. So anyway, going back to your um, your long distance things. So, how long did it take you to do the Appalachian Trail? That one took me five months. Five months. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you said you started when it was like really mosquito-y and like not fun. Yes, pretty much the whole time until I like got off trail to, you know, stay safe from some creepy people. It was just like muggy, humid. I'm from Southern California. I do not do humidity. It was terrible. <laughs> um, just, just brutal. Just like cr a lot of crying, like a lot of hiking and crying <laughs> um, to get through it. And oh, so to get back to what I was saying is like, people are like, oh my God, yeah, you loved it. And I was like, absolutely not. It was when I... <sighs> I fin so I eventually did make it to Katahdin, right? Like I, I made it from Georgia to Vermont and that's when I had to get off to, to really keep my, I had to go home actually to California because there were some, I had a stalker actually is what happened. Oof. And um, yeah, it was really scary, but I, you know, was determined to do what I set out to do. And I just kept telling myself, you know, part of the reason I chose to do that trail is because I had this idea in my head about the wonderful, magical healing powers of community in nature through like a long hike or like a, a, an extended period of time. And I just kept repeating this refrain that like, this cannot possibly be all there, all that this has to offer. Like this cannot possibly be all there is. And I just committed in that moment to can to keep coming back until I experienced what I knew was always there. And thank God I did because I was right. Like, and, and, and people know that, you know, like other people have done this kind of stuff. They always say, have these testimonials of like, you know, this changed my life. This like, you know, I, I made the, my best friends on trail. Like we're going to be friends forever. Like I do have friends that I've had for five years since I did that, you know, 
like I have stories that I still remember fondly and like to tell and they're a part of me and they're just like these beautiful gemstones that I get to keep in my pocket no matter where I go and I refer I look at them often because life is really hard <laughs> and you know on my run across America like I would have hard times and I would like pull out one of those little like crystals from the AT where I was like running through mosquito country in like a full rain suit on like a hundred degree day to just not get bitten by mosquitoes and how brutal that was. And I was like, well, it's not that bad. Or like, you know, I think about when I was on the Continental Divide Trail hiking through uh, Yellowstone and I got a UTI and it was 30 miles to the next road where I could get medical care. And it was just like the most wickedly terrible UTI I've ever had. And I was just like, oh, and then it was raining too. And uh, there was like a fire road and I was like, oh, I love it, a fire road. But it was just purely, a, it was like a river of mud. So we were maybe going like a mile an hour. It was so uh -huh. funny, just like slipping and sliding. So I'm like, well, you know, if I made it through that in one piece, like I can definitely do this. Like it's not that bad. Or I think about the time that I almost died in Yosemite on the PCT because we were the first hikers to come through early season, like really big snowpack. And then a blizzard hit us and we didn't have enough food to sustain us and there was no trail. And I literally thought I was going to die. Uh, and I didn't. So, you know, when I yeah. apply for a job and I don't get the job, I'm like, whatever. Like, or if I like, if my girlfriend breaks up with me, I'm like, I'm sad, but like, I've been through worse, you know? Like, no, I, I totally get that, you know? I mean, I myself have climbed El Capitan so, a couple times, and, um, you know, I've done lots of like suffering in the mountains, and it's like, well, if I can get through that, then, you know, I'm obviously strong, like, we'll be fine, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I encourage yeah. Um, anyone. Anyone listening who is not aware of uh, scholar Angela Duckworth um, to go and like watch her TED talk because Angela Duckworth is the leading uh, expert in the study of grit and she defines grit as the ability is it's the single number one indicator of success in life. It's not talent. It's not resources. It's grit and grit. She defines as the ability to persist. Um, in the face of like obstacles and setbacks it's just you just keep going <laughs> you just like don't stop um, and that is the number one indicator of success and I think that I have always been a pretty gritty person just naturally like growing up but I mean those trails and those experiences gave me a lot more grit for sure yeah yeah for sure it's just like when the going gets hard just keep going that's right. Yes. <laughs> You'll get through it eventually. Totally. And if you don't, well, yeah. But you, you do know. something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you die, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Either you get through it or you die. But yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I want to get back to like your through hiking stuff as well. So, you also did the PCT. Um, can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. So I did the PCT last year. Um, I started very early. Uh, my hiking partner and I, we started in March. Um, and that meant that we arrived at Kennedy Meadows South before the Sierras were sort of officially open. Um, it's not always it's It's not really that dangerous to go in in the snow, but there are certainly risks and factors that you need to be skilled in, um, you know, contending with. And I simply wasn't. So I felt really far outside my comfort zone. Like we had to get like, you know, crampons and like ice axes and things like that. And like, you have to know how to self arrest because there's just a lot of, and then there's like the risk of like an avalanche and things like that. And like sliding off the face of a cliff. And like, I remember there was one day in Yosemite where like we were just like on this, like almost vertical, like slope cutting, cutting straight across this mountain, you know? Um, and there was just like a rushing raging river at the bottom so it's like if you lose your footing and you start to slide and you don't self-arrest in time you are going straight into the water it is certain death um so 
that was a really steep learning curve for me. Um, glad I did it. Never want to do that again. Um, but it's like the reward for that was that I got Yosemite National Park all to myself. Hmm. How many people can say that? Yeah. I, uh, I lived in Yosemite for like three years. Where are you thinking about? <laughs> like, where was that? Was that like the mist trail? Uh, right or? over Benson. So it, the blizzard started, we like, because we were going northbound. So like we went through Tuolumne Meadows and we're like, oh my God, it's great. Like the snow's all melted. And then we started heading up into the park. Um, so like Benson Pass was when the the blizzard started. And then we just like kept going. And it was pretty much from ben, from, from Tuolumne Meadows to Sonora Pass on the PCT was oh, just geez. like, almost like full white out every day until the last day. Um, just like really treacherous, like river crossings, really fast water, like really hard to stay dry, which is like the main danger with hypothermia for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just like knee to thigh deep snow that was really sticky. So it's like we'd like Oof. cross a river, our feet would get wet, we'd go in the snow, it would stick to our feet. And then we're just like, our feet are constantly like 10 pounds heavier, you know, cause there's just like fucking snow packed onto them. And then like, yeah, just like imagine, imagine doing like a backpacking trip, but it's all on like really soft sand. It's just like, you're like every single step you're lifting your knees to your hip. Like it's like, because you have to like step over yeah, the just snow the, the post -holing. <laughs> down into it. It's like, yeah, like one step is like the effort of like five normal footsteps or more you know and just oh it was brutal but it was I I mean I'm glad that it happened and then like after that um it was it was kind of brutal the rest of the time not that brutal um we took a little bit of time off like a couple weeks to let the snow melt a little bit um and it was just some of my favorite hiking ever like up in Shasta area northern California um you know, in Oregon was beautiful. It was snowy at that point, or sorry, it was sunny at that point. And then the Cascades right before the border, that is probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. And that was finally when wildflowers were blooming and yes. it was just, <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, could I ask how you funded all of these trips? Totally. I am one of the very few lucky people out there that is either good enough or cute enough to get people to pay me to do this. <laughs> I think that's not, I think it's pretty rare. Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities, especially now for like, um, sort of more, um, like under-resourced communities in the outdoors, there's more like scholarships available. There's a lot of organizations, like certainly for, you know, LGBTQIA people, uh, the Venture Out Project is really amazing. I know a lot of um, brands like Sawyer and um, Osprey, they do like a, a scholarship people can apply to, to get like gear and things like that. Because I was on track <clears throat> to be the first trans tri person to Triple Crown, um, I had sponsors like brand sponsors they did not pay for the whole thing um unfortunately i didn't have a big enough platform at that time um although i did for my run across america to get it fully paid for um so the rest of the money was just savings because i'd been a teacher before that which you know teachers don't make a lot but i am incredibly frugal and it's pretty much through hiking that like made me frugal. Like I, there's just very little that I spend money on. So it, I save money pretty quickly. Um, so three years of teaching and a couple of brand sponsorships and I was able to do uh, all my through hikes, which was pretty, pretty great. Um, but for anybody out there who, you know, that maybe is not a viable option, I I would love to like feel free to reach out and talk about like financial options, like making these things sustainable because I just don't think that cost should like should be a barrier to experiencing the outdoors. I myself was raised relatively low income in Los Angeles. My family did not have money for vacations or like doing like outdoor excursions like this. Um, and the, the barrier, the, financial barrier to entry can be daunting. So, you know, you can rent gear, you can borrow gear, you can apply for things like don't let money be the barrier to you 
take having adventures and I'm happy to be a resource for folks that need it. Totally. How did you put together pitches to um, get those writer grants? Oh man, I had no idea what I was doing when I started. Like <laughs> somebody told me they're like, I was like, how do I do this? And they were like, you need to make a pitch deck. And I was like, what is a pitch deck? I didn't even know what it was. Um, I made like a Google doc. Like I wrote, I started off by writing letters to people um, and like including pictures and like sending a resume and being like, this is who I am. I know I can do this like because of the X, Y, Z. I've never done this before. Like, you know, here's why just sort of like a cover letter would be like, here's why I'm a good candidate for your money. And here's, you know, I didn't know about like deliverables and like what that meant and like how that works. And I also didn't know how to value my own labor. So like I definitely signed a lot of contracts that were kind of shit for me where it was like a lot of work and not that much. It was like, oh yeah, we'll give you $2,000 for like 10 Instagram posts. And it's like, no, I now at this point in my career, it's like you pay me a thousand dollars for two Instagram posts, <laughs> you know, or one maybe. And so it's like, it's a very different price point, but it is sort of the classic. Unfortunately, it's the classic situation where it's like, you gotta pay your dues. Like you just gotta take a shit job. You gotta just grin and bear it. And if you're good enough and you want to keep doing this work, then you will get to a place where people will approach you or, you know, cause now I get help with all of that stuff. Like, um, I get help with making a pitch deck. Um, it's hard to do it on your own. So, and, and it's just not, it's not something I was ever taught. I didn't have an awareness around any of that. So again, like anyone who thinks they're deserving and and needs some help like let me know i think a lot of privilege can come like intergenerationally or it's like who you know and stuff and i certainly did not have any of that privilege coming into this world as i told you when i first came in i had never even been backpacking before so um i'm very passionate about like making it all feel accessible and finding money for people who really want it want, want who want it um yeah so do, you think a, do you think a social media presence is really important for that? Like I didn't have one, one when I started. I, I got a social media presence. I mean, I still don't have that big of one, but like I, I accumulated that through the things that I was doing. And it is, it is hard. It's like one of those classic things of like, well, I can't get followers if I can't do the thing, but I can't do the thing and get money unless I have the followers. So it's like, <laughs> fuck, yeah. like, you know, gotcha. um, and I totally felt that way. It's like, why should a brand give me money to make content for like a thousand people? That's just not something that they do. So I think that like social media can be one avenue, but I don't think it's the only avenue. I think at the end of the day, if you are – if you have the like, if you have like a unique thing that no one else is doing, they will want to invest in you. And if you are sort of like a unique person, then then they will want to invest in you. And there's there's no right or wrong way to um, gain entry into these spaces. Like, and I also just don't think that it has to be so extreme. Like, I don't think you have, I mean, good for you if you want to do a through hike, having done several, I don't think that's the only way to have an adventure. Like, let's say that you work for two months, or sorry, let's say you work for like a year and you save like an extra thousand dollars. Go do the Colorado Trail. You can do the Colorado Trail with a thousand dollars. You just, you don't need a ton or do the Arizona trail or do a shorter trail, do like a 300 mile section of the PCT. And it, that also will change your life, you know? And then if you decide you want to do bigger things, then you save money for those <laughs> or you rely on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> Depends on how big of a risk you want to take. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have a, a silly question. How reliable is it to hike the PCT only on hiker boxes? <laughs> uh, the PCT, I, I hiked it so early there were no hiker boxes, like or they were all empty. I think the strategy with um, hiking 
through with the hiker boxes is you have to start late because then they're all full. Like it, it's really a timing thing, you know, and especially like with the Appalachian Trail, like everybody starts in March and April. So if you come towards the end of March, like over half of the people that start quit um and they just leave their shit <laughs> like between <laughs> between Springer and Blood Mountain or the like Tennessee border like or sorry North Carolina border like there's a lot of good stuff so i think it's very very easy if you time it right on the eight, on the Appalachian Trail like <laughs> i know so many people that do that yeah but so um just for context for anybody yeah. listening hiker boxes are basically people start out with way too much stuff and then they put it all in boxes at like resupply points and if you time it well enough you don't have to buy food at all exactly <laughs> um, or gear sometimes. or or gear sometimes as well yeah so it, it makes it like way easier to do it on a budget if you time it correctly i mean i'm not a through hiker i don't know but that's just what i've heard <laughs> no you're totally right yeah so um what organizations are you with and didn't you visit the white house or something i did <laughs> yeah on my run across america i was invited by um President Biden and Dr. Biden to attend the White House Pride celebration um, on the South Lawn. There were a couple of hundred people that were invited, like in the whole country. So it was a it was a huge honor to be amongst the very very few. Um, that was in part facilitated by the National Center for Transgender Equality, which is sort of the leading national organization um, doing uh, policy and advocacy work around all of the anti-trans bills. They track a lot of the legislation. They do a lot of programming. Um, with different like campaigns and stuff and they helped me a lot uh during my run across america because it was sort of this like new thing that like for both of us of like oh you know we have this athlete that's doing this thing for a cause that's very aligned with our values and you know we've never like worked in this capacity with an athlete so we also together started the um trot for trans lives 5k series um, which is similar to if anyone's familiar with Nikki pro runner pro trans non-binary runner Nikki Hiltz if you don't know of them definitely look up Nikki Hiltz they started the pride 5k um, which is a huge fundraiser annual 5k for an organization supporting LGBTQ people um, we started something similar, that, but it was a series and it was for local organizations, like local grassroots groups. It's a common misconception that huge national organizations need money. They do not. They have so much money. If you want to put money in something that's really going to impact change for the people that you want to reach, grassroots local groups are the way to go. There are so many organizations that I worked with throughout the course of my run that are just hurting for money. Like sometimes there's like one tiny organization in like Abilene, Texas, that is the only place that queer and trans people can feel safe um, and, you know, get money for uh, gender affirming care, get money for hormones, just like have money for like community building events so people know they're not alone like those are the people that need money so we started a 5k series to raise money for different groups every time and you know through the run and the work i was doing with the national center for trans equality um and being a spokesperson for all of this that is how i gained recognition from uh the president to come and attend that uh that gathering um along with a lot of other like leading trans and queer people uh doing this work so that was really special yeah that's a once in a lifetime opportunity for sure yes to be recognized for this work by the white house is huge and the fact that the biden administration is really being vocal about what's happening to trans people particularly trans children 
in America, I mean, that's huge. There has never been a president in the United States that has specifically addressed the plight of trans people. So it's it's revolutionary for sure. Yeah, I know it's it's all kind of new to the entire country and everything. And, you know, it's I I think it'll be cool to see how it progresses. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting, like, sort of new thing. Like, as a cisgender male, I, I just don't like quite understand it. I mean, I do understand it, but like. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think mean, uh well, it's not new where like, you know, trans people have existed forever, but what is new is the political onslaught and scapegoating yeah, yeah. of trans people. And that I'm with you. I don't understand that. I'm like, why? Like we've been here, like we've we're just living our lives and it's just like it's like they just picked the new group that they were going to fear monger. I mean, kind of, quite literally. It's like, you know, if it's not immigrants, if it's not, you know, um, I don't know, if it's not like whoever, we're like the new favorite scapegoat. Um, it's not going to last because people are going to realize one day, much the same way that people woke up and realized that, you know, migrant people from Mexico did not actually take their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. I thought I was supposed to be scared of this. It never actually happened. People are going to wake up one day and be like, "Wait a second. Those scary trans people, they didn't actually turn my kid trans." Oops, no, like, yeah. you know, it's going it's going to stop working, but that is not good enough to just have that in mind because people are being seriously hurt and it is just a political strategy to stoke fear in the hearts of of constituents because we see the same literally verbatim the same language recycled by um you know conservative politicians when talking about trans people that they used in the early 2000s to talk about gay people mm -hmm. and yeah there really aren't that many places in america where gay people are perceived as a threat i mean i think there's like certain places you'll go where people are like oh i don't want to look at it i think it's gross but i don't think you'll it's harder these days to find people that say you know gay people are perverts like there's no anti-sodomy laws things like that and, and so all the things that you hear that they're saying about trans people well because people woke up one day and they're like oh gay people are just people they're not dangerous you know um like literally the same exact things that they say about trans people about like being groomers being perverts being sexual deviants being you know in some way harmful to children that is exactly the same language word for word that they leveraged against homosexual people in the early mm -hmm. 2000s so yeah when you i know the historical context know. you're able to sort of like lift the veil of like oh no, this is a political strategy, but it has very tangible harm. There's very tangible harm being done to trans people, especially trans kids growing up in this shit. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, I'm the only like straight male uh, sibling in my family. <laughs> my brother is gay and um, mm -hmm. my, well, now again, brother is transitioned while mm -hmm. taking tea, testosterone for people that don't know what tea is. Um, so for me it's quite obvious to see that like you know that you need to let people be who they need to be yeah um i i mean as a as a white male it's hard for me to like understand another's perspective just because of like how i am but obviously like it's a thing and like it's not going anywhere and there's no choice but to accept it and like i think most people will probably get over it um, because it's it's a thing now like it's really nice that people are are making it aware and like coming out and um presenting that conversation you know because i'm sure people have been the same way just as gay people were not accepted and had to hide it their entire lives you know it's the same thing um yeah and and i'm glad that well, i think you and other people are important. out there yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, you hit the nail right on the head. Is that like the most important thing is that 
is just acceptance. Like you do not have to understand. Like people are so hung up on like understanding. But the reality is like we don't understand anyone. <laughs> like you could live with your wife for 30 years and you don't really understand her, but you love her and you accept her. And what choice do you have? Because she's just going to be herself, you know? Same same is true for the stranger at the grocery store, you know? You're at, I don't know, Trader Joe's and your, your cashier has blue hair and you're like, I would never dye my hair blue. Why would you dye your hair blue? It's like, you know what? It doesn't actually matter. Like, if it makes them happy, it makes them happy. They're not hurting anybody. They're just being themselves and that just looks different. And we don't need to understand people in order to accept them or even just to like allow people to be themselves. I mean, that that I think is sort of the best case scenario that I've seen in my work is like people say, you know, I'll like talk about trans stuff and someone will say, I don't actually care. And I'll say, that's great. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Like Yeah. I mean you I shouldn't just don't care. care. You know? And then just don't stop people from being themselves. Yeah, I mean it doesn't matter if you like it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, Well, I, I'm okay with people being trans. I just don't want to see it around me or whatever. And I'm like, Great. Close your eyes. That's fine. Like I don't need you to like me. I just need you to not deny my basic access to health care and humanity that's it yeah the legislation has to change for sure um yeah and i mean i think it's obviously not going away and like obviously it's just uncovering like things of society that have always been there you know like mm -hmm. i've been to thailand you know and... In thailand it's thailand has never ever like like shied away from trans stuff like it's it's always been there in society it's just being like hidden you know yeah yeah i mean and it, it's very well documented like all around the world that there's been so much gender diversity in indigenous populations and that i think is actually important to say is just that like the gender binary of male and female is like a European settler colonial invention. It actually didn't exist before a couple hundred years ago. And it was imposed on indigenous peoples the same way that it's imposed on, you know, people nowadays. And so it makes sense that a lot of people would be like, well, I don't know about this. Like, I don't totally identify as a hundred percent male or a hundred percent female. Um, and also just that there is gender diversity in, in a population. I mean, there's gender diversity in so many dozens of species of animals, which is why that's the weirdest thing when people are like, Oh, it's not normal. It's not natural. I'm like, D have you, Look, have you done any research? Like there's so much like gender transition, transgender, like just LGBTQIA everything in nature, you know, it is the most normal, natural, necessary thing. And people are like, well, I've never heard of it before. So clearly it's made up. And I'm like, you don't speak French. Does that mean that French is gibberish and it's not a language? <laughs> Just because you don't speak it, like that's insane. Like just because yeah. you've never heard of something doesn't mean it's not real. And just because you don't identify as, you know, trans or non-binary doesn't mean that other people don't. And also at the end of the day, it just like, I never say it like this. I'm usually like really nice. But all I want to tell the people is like, it, like your opinion doesn't matter because it's not your body. It's mine. You do what you want with yours. I'll do what I want with mine. That's it. Like, the, it's so simple, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what difference in society, in society does it make, really? Like, Literally. It doesn't make it's any sense. It's just freedom yeah, and bodily autonomy. It just comes down to those two things. And those are American values. Those are, like, our core values. Freedom doesn't get more American than that. And bodily autonomy. I mean, we were predicated on ownership of property, right? If you don't own your own body, you own nothing. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 
So all those people in in Texas that are like property rights, gun rights, I'm like, hell yeah, brother. Where? What about trans rights? Like, yeah, what about my body same rights? Same fucking thing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we should be on the same side. <laughs> yeah, I hope there's a a time when people actually understand it. You know. Yeah, I think there. I think it's coming. I think we're on a precipice. Well, you're definitely on the front lines of that, eh? Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, we're at about an hour. Do you want to keep going? I mean, I'm having a great time with the conversation, but uh, if you need to oh, be anywhere. Me too. I would <laughs> love to keep talking, but I have to get to an appointment, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, cool. Well. But I can take like, you know, if you have any closing questions or anything. Any what? Oh, closing questions. Uh-huh. Um, can you just say like, what your like um your handles are like the organizations you work for anything you want to plug oh man thank you absolutely well my name is cal dobbs c-a-l-d-o-b-b-s you can find everything on my website which is conveniently caldobbs.com pretty pretty easy to find i'm not a difficult man to find Um, my instagram handle is cal is running which is usually true. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm clearly not right now, but (laughs) Cal is running most of the time. So it's at Cal is running. Um, And then from those two, those are, um, those are pretty much where you can find everything else. The only thing else I'll say is I mentioned briefly that we are making a documentary about my run across America, all of the people that I met along the way, all of the amazing stories that I heard, um, it's going to be an incredible documentary. I have a wonderful, wonderful team, an all trans team that I'm working on with uh, to produce it. We are in post-production. It's coming out in 2024, but we do need money. So if you would like to contribute and uh, help us do all of our like, you know, uh, post post interviews, things like that, make the documentary nice and pretty, please, please go uh, to my website and uh, donate to our GoFundMe to make that happen. Awesome. Well, that was a great conversation. Always love talking to you. You're so amazing. Yes, you too. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. This is so much fun. <laughs> okay, Cal. Bye. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to the Roots Away podcast. Again, I'm Jason Ringenberg. That was an amazing, 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 amazing episode with Cal Dobbs. There's way more of that to come. And I hope you guys will stick around and listen to us and uh, have some more fun. Get some perspectives, get some, uh, some inspiration, you know. Share it if you want. Keep listening. I don't know about uh, exactly how often I'm going to upload, but I'm working on a schedule. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys again for tuning in. It's Roots Away again. I'm Jason Ringenberg. So much fun. Let's do it so many more times. <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. You.